9, Isaiah 9 or 9 or 9 or. And then Luke 11. Jeremy, make sure you get something back there for Father's Day. If you want a gun, you have to see Brother John over here. He'll get you something. (laughs) Isaiah, Isaiah 9. Isaiah is a Bible inside the Bible. And then Luke, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 11. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I do ask you to help us to understand your words. Help us to recognize that here we are sitting about uh, 6,000 years from Adam, and there's a lot of information that you've been disclosing through these 6,000 years, and uh, we can look back on it and see some things, but uh, those people, when you revealed it to them, they were like, huh, what's going on? And I pray you'd help us to understand it, help us to understand the unique uh, position, relationship that each and every one of us can have with thee. I pray you'd help us to desire that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Isaiah 9. Uh, verse 6 and 7, these are, at least the first sentence or the first phrase is kind of well known. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. So that is clearly a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's pretty understandable. That's the first coming, but then after the word a given, you see two dots, a colon there, and he jumps 2,000 years. Now, we have quite an advantage of hindsight. Okay, did you know that there was no written revelation of God, no Bible for 2,500 years? And the only Bible that Adam and Eve have was one sentence. That's all they had was one sentence. Can you imagine them have, reading your Bible? To, uh, let's read the Bible tonight. Uh, see the tree, don't eat of it. Uh, well, can you have a little something else here to offer for us? Nope, that's all we got right now. Don't eat that tree. Okay, that's all the Bible they had. And so God reveals more and more ideas, truths about himself to mankind throughout the years, just like he doesn't dump all his truth on you and I at one time. Aren't you glad he doesn't do that? (laughs) Our brains would fry. Okay, and so through time, when God starts revealing a different idea, often people, when they accepted that, they would scratch their head and say, what are you talking about? So now we have an advantage of looking at hindsight in Isaiah 9, 6, You can see that that first part before the colon is the first coming, but then the second part where it says the government, the government shall be upon his shoulder, that is the second coming of Christ, and there's a 2,000-year gap between them. Isaiah didn't know that when he wrote it down, but we can know that from hindsight. Okay, so... Uh, this is clearly Jesus Christ, but uh, it's very unusual where it says a government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Yeah. 
But notice the everlasting Father. I thought he was the Son. Everlasting Father. This is the only occurrence in the Old Testament of the word Father with an uppercase F. The only time that's found in the Old Testament. And it's not a reference to who we know to be God the Father. It's a reference to Jesus Christ being the King on earth, and he's called the Everlasting Father. So there's, there's a reason for that. Then he says, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace shall there be no end. So this is a worldwide utopia. Upon the throne of David... Okay, the name David, that occurs, that name is, occurs more than any name in the Bible found. David, more so than Jesus, the throne of David, upon his kingdom, uh, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will, will, will perform this. Now, it's going to be 2,700 years later after Isaiah said that or wrote that. And I'll bet you when he wrote that, Everlasting Father, Isaiah, what is that? What is that? So that's the only occurrence in the Old Testament. Now in Luke chapter 11, we have another thought coming through here. Luke 11, verse 1, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father. What? The Jews didn't know that. Our Father. Now, this is the Luke record of the Matthew prayer. They're paralleled. There's slight variations. But in both of them, he said, Our Father. And and I'm sure the Jewish said, What are you talking about? The Lord our God is one Lord. That's all we know. And you're saying, Our Father? Oh, I never heard that before. Very unique relationship. The Lord is bringing something where a very unique relationship where you can be a father-son between God and the recipient there, the son. That's an amazing thing. And then if you skim down here, if you would get down to verse 13, just looking at this one. And it's another idea. And at verse 5, he kind of talks about asking God about certain things, asking for this, for that, and this. And in verse 13, he says, now these are his disciples, if ye, okay, that's the disciples up there in verse 1, if ye then being evil, whoa, that's a real uplifting thing, you evil guys. If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Wow. And I'm sure they're saying, Heavenly Father? Wow, that sounds good. God can be my personal Father, my Heavenly Father. That sounds good. But then notice the word Holy Spirit. That is the only occurrence in the Bible for that with two uppercase letters. It's found seven times, but this is the only one with uppercase, and and the Lord had not yet introduced the Holy Ghost to the apostles, 
And so he says, Holy Spirit here, and that would kind of comply. It's kind of a, it's kind of a subtle change. Holy Ghost is found uh, 90 times in the New Testament. But this is very unique also, Heavenly Father. And uh, now there were times where the Lord introduced a thought, and the disciples would say, what are you talking about? Now here it doesn't say that. And I'm sure that they walked off saying, Heavenly Father? What's that? The Lord our God is one Lord, and it's kind of distant. You know, and the Lord is introducing a special relationship that an individual can have with Almighty God, different from all pagan deities, because all pagan deities are distant from their deceived followers and their bullies. If you study religion, and I encourage people to study, you know, what's called religion, Greek mythology and all this stuff, and they're all pagan deities are bullies, and they're distant from their deceived followers. The God of the Bible is different, very unique. And now here, 4,000 years into this experiment from Adam till Jesus, now he's introducing another idea, I can be your father. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? I'll take that opportunity. I can be your heavenly father. You see, now liberalism uh, tries, people who approach the Bible from a pick and choose idea, they'll say, they have a nice little cliche where they talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, and then they try to put everybody in this little family situation uh, and then they say, oh, well, we're all created in God's image. But no, that ain't true. Not true at all. Uh, in fact, Adam was created in the image of the God. But then his son, Seth, it says he was born in the image and in the likeness of Adam, not God, Adam in his fallen nature. In the natural world, your natural birth, we're born in the image of our parents. If you kind of doubt that, look at me and then look at my dad over there. <laughs> and I'm born in the image of my parents. Okay, and that's a natural. I got born in the image of God when I got saved. That's a unique position. And that's where the Heavenly Father idea steps in. The new birth offers to anyone a closer relationship with the Lord God. So... The idea of the fatherhood of God, I want to give you some thoughts about that this morning, is the example of a father, of a natural father, often determines one's attitude towards the heavenly father. When they get this idea revealed to them, when a person hears about this idea of a heavenly father, it's a natural thing to relate that with your earthly father. Now, a person has to overcome that. If you have a wonderful earthly father, the connection is pretty easy to make. But what if, what if it wasn't a good relationship? Okay, that's when an individual needs to go to the Bible and discover the heavenly father is much different than us earthly fathers. We all got flaws, I do believe. Okay, but we seek to do our best to please the Lord as far as a Bible believer, okay. But uh, 
the behavior of a natural father often dictates the viewpoint of God. For example, if a child uh, experienced where their father left their mother, okay, abandoned the child, then this child is going to have a feeling of when they hear of Heavenly Father, they're going to feel like, okay, well, he's probably going to abandon me too, like my earthly father did. But then in that case, you go to the Bible, and the Bible says, Jesus, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And a person, and when they first hear that, they'll say, well, those are just words. But with experience, they'll learn, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, a child that was raised with a father that was a very strict disciplinarian father, He may feel that God is going to scold him, rebuke him, scream at him, threaten him at any moment of any error. And then they got to learn to overcome that God is patient and loving and merciful and kind. And he remembers that we are but dust. He remembers that portion of us. Children that are, that are raised under a weak or permissive father may feel that God is a pushover. And I can do anything I want, and God's going to accept me. Not the Holy Father. Not the Holy Father. That's this whole woke generation. They've been raised with permissive, get away with anything you want, and Everything revolves around you and take your snapshot, you know, and I'm special. Yeah, but the Holy Father is going to say, I never knew you if you don't know him. That's a different side of the Lord that a lot of people don't want to admit. You see, one will need to study and read the Bible to understand the true nature of the Heavenly Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself demonstrates his kindness by his miracles that he performed. And that he is greatly concerned with the needs of others, the Heavenly Father. The, so a lot of times a person uh, needs to, okay, if you were raised in a wonderful home, you know, like I, I was, then it, to make this connection with the Father is very easy. Okay, but folks that weren't raised like that, then uh, they, they come to the Bible and they, and they let the Spirit of God reveal to them, hey, this is the Heavenly Father. It's a very unique position. It's different than all the pagan deities. All the pagan deities are bullies. Now, if you doubt that, okay, just put the Muslim faith in the majority and see what happens. Go to Saudi Arabia. There's no... Lutheran churches, no Baptist churches, no Catholic churches, no. Oh, they have freedom from religion, if you call it that. And if you step outside of that faith, man, they are going to hammer you. Your wife might even poison you, as happened in Nigeria a couple of times here lately. See, that's a bully religion, if you want to call it that. In the, if you read uh, a church history or even a history in Europe, the Dark Ages, when the faith of Catholicism becomes a majority, or you, man, you can just run back to World War II. Adolf Hitler was a, raised a Roman Catholic, never have been excommunicated. And, and when they get in charge, it's a bully faith. And even in, 
in the Jewish faith, I, I knew a fellow years ago that got saved. He was uh, in, raised in a Jewish family. And after he got raised, he called his parents up and said, Dad, Ma, I got saved. Jesus Christ is my Savior. And, and they went out to a cemetery. They went out to a cemetery and bought a gravestone, put his name on the gravestone. And when he would call them, they'd say, you're dead. You're dead. And, you know, a little sense of humor. So, well, you forgot that I got a cell phone down here in the casket. I'm saying hi, you know, all that stuff. I mean, but that's a, that's a bully ridge. Now, if someone leaves, you know, as far as the, the church of a, of a loving church family or want to check out the ways of the world, what are we going to do? We're going to welcome them back and try to see if they'll come back to the Lord. Of their choice, it's got to be a choice they make. Okay, and the thing is, is the second thought is a spiritual father, okay, a natural father who's a spiritual father will set his heart upon his children. The last verse of the Old Testament it, uh, discusses Moses and Elijah. And it says that Elijah comes in the spirit of the Lord. And it says that he turns the hearts of the father to the children and the children's hearts to the father. Now, notice, not their head, but their heart. That's different. Men generally, because you're the breadwinner working, we generally are concerned about work and about things. And the ladies are concerned about people. But a spiritual father will also be concerned about his children and people. And he'll try to tie strings with his kids. You know when you win a teenager before they're five years old? That's when you win a teenager, before they're five. You get down and play with them and goof off with them and, you know, have a man conversation. You're like, ah, 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 back and forth. Once the kid can start to talk, it's, it's that's back and forth. I just had that with Carter. You know, he'd say, ah, and I'd say, ah. I, boy, we really communicated back and forth about ten times back and forth. And that's what you're trying to do is you're tying strings and you're, and when your child gets up in years and they have a dream and they have a goal that, and you, and you get along with it, try to encourage them along the way. If it's a wrong goal, then you just kind of back off a little bit and pray and get on your knees and pray for them. Uh, but you know, the very first time the word love is found in the Bible is between Abraham and Isaac, a father and a son. Very first time the word love is found in the Bible. And when Jesus talked about the father who loved his son, guess what? You can step in that relationship too. That's available to all, to step in that relationship of the Holy Father. You, the father, a real father pities, he pities uh, the weakness and troubles of his children when they're struggling, and he tries to help them out. And do you think the Lord's any different? There's a great promise in the New Testament to uh, men and there's a fellow in Acts chapter 16 that uh, he was a jailer and they had an earthquake and he thought all the, all the inmates would have been uh, took off. You know, the bars were open and he thought they were all gone. And back in those days when uh, a guy escaped prison, uh, the, uh, the warden of the prison, uh, he held the jailers responsible. And if somebody escaped prison, they would execute the jailer. And so this guy says, I'm not going to wait around for that. I'm just going to take care of it right, right myself. And so he's taking a sword, getting ready to kill himself because he figured all the prisoners were gone. And Paul and Silas were in prison at the time. And they said, oh, do thyself no harm. We're still here. We're still here. And when he ran into the cell, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then they said, believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then it says, comma, and thy house. There's a blessing that passes down from God through a man to his family. There's something very unique about that. Why? Because he's the heavenly father. But this wasn't introduced to mankind for 4,000 years, all in the Old Testament. They didn't know that. He brought that into the New Testament. When Jesus introduced that to them, they're like, what? What is this? We never heard that before. In the Old Testament, Israel, they considered God their wife as far as our husband, and Israel was known as the wife. That's what the Mosaic Covenant was. That's what the Ten Commandments were. It's like a wedding covenant between God and Israel. But that's Israel. What about all those Gentiles around the world? And the thing is, is this everlasting father thing about Jesus Christ is something that's going to be very unique. Very, instead of a distant God, he's bringing himself right to us. That's the amazing thing about that. In Isaiah 9, how, how can we figure this out? If you would go to Matthew 19... Why is the Lord Jesus called the everlasting Father? Now, some will take that verse and stretch it out, and they'll teach what's called modalism, where God comes in three modes or three forms. So it's actually, it's God the Father, and then God the Son, but they're all the same. And then God the Holy Ghost, they're all the same. So when Jesus prayed, he prays to himself. No, it's three separate persons, and this is God revealing himself. Now, man makes up a word called Trinity, which is not a bad word. The Bible word is Godhead, and it's found three times. Now, ain't that a quinky dink? Three times, Godhead. And that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Triunity is three in unity, God, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, But here in Isaiah, it's prophesied Jesus is going to be called the everlasting Father. Why is that? Okay, in in Matthew 19, verse 27, and what it's going to do, it's going to bring a, a very amazing, special relationship that God is offering to everyone. Verse 27, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration. What is that? That'd be a big word. In the regeneration. That's found two times in the Bible. Often, if you just keep reading, you'll, you'll find the word within its setting, and then it makes more sense. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory. Okay, now if you've read some Bible, we now know he's jumped into the second coming. What's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his throne in Jerusalem... And he's going to rule the world in peace for a thousand years. It's called the regeneration. It's like a regene. It's like a new birth of something. And it says, ye also, ye also shall sit upon the throne, uh, sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that's clearly the second coming. 
In the second coming, when Jesus Christ is the king of kings on earth, he will also be referred to as the everlasting father. Why? Because verse 28 says there's a regeneration. What's that? Okay, if you would, go to Titus chapter 3. That word is only found one other time in the Bible. And a lot of times uh, when you got a big, big word like that, uh, what you do is you kind of look inside the word. Inside the word, it often defines itself. Regeneration, or how about the word generation? Or how about the word genesis? Or how about the word genes, as in your DNA? Okay, or genius. Things like that. All those words are put together. Regeneration is a regening, a rebirth, a born again, a new beginning. In Titus chapter 3, he lays it out for the soul, for the individual. Titus 3 verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God. Oh, there's the heavenly father. The kindness and love of God, but notice our Savior, so that's Jesus Christ, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, there it is again, and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through, through Jesus Christ. There he is, our Savior that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the regeneration or the regening of the individual. You see, as I said, Israel only knew God in the Old Testament to be the Lord our God is one. And the Lord Jesus Christ is bringing in a new relationship where God came down from heaven and lived among us. And what did man do to God who lived among us? Three and a half years, they killed him. But that amazing God on Calvary said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's an amazing thing about the God of the Bible. Pagan gods don't do that. If you insult Muhammad, oh, one of his followers, he'll, he'll, what would you say? But Jesus Christ is a cuss word that's used throughout the world. Why don't they use Muhammad's name as a cuss word? Why don't they use, oh, Buddha? Can you imagine hitting the wrong nail with a hammer? Oh, Buddha, 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 oh, Buddha. No, they say Jesus Christ. That's what they say. Why? Because they know right in here there's power in that name. The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, and so the Lord, here we have the regeneration of the individual. See, years ago in Psalm 22, David, remember the throne of Jesus, he's going to live, uh, reign from the throne of David. Well, in Psalm 22, many years ago, David wrote this psalm. It's called a crucifixion psalm. And it starts off, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which is what Jesus uttered on Calvary. But then he closed off that psalm where he said in verse 30 and 31 that because of this, a people shall be born. And it's going to be considered a generation. A people shall be born. Born again? Is that what he's talking about? 
Psalm 22. And then in John chapter 3, there's one of these religious leaders, Nicodemus by name. And he approached Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ said, marvel not that I said to thee, you must be born again. He said, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, born again, what's that? Do I got to get inside mama again? She's not that big. And then Jesus said, except you be born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he says to Nicodemus, you don't know this. You're a master of Israel. You don't know. Did did you read Psalm 22? Did you read those last two verses, Psalm 22? And then when you read that conversation, you'll see Jesus talk about himself in the third person. He will not say to Nicodemus, believe in me. He'll say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But he doesn't say it to Nicodemus, I'm him. He doesn't say that. Why? Because he's laying a groundwork. And then in chapter 4, this woman at the well came across him, and then he says to her, and then they figured it out, he's the savior of the world. They figured it out. And then you don't get to John 6 when Jesus Christ says, believe on me. This is all a transition coming through there. And in John 3, Jesus introduced a new birth to Nicodemus, but then he put it in action, instituted with his death at Calvary. That's what he did. It's a lot of times when you, you hear of uh, legislators will pass a law, but then it will not come into play at a certain date. So the Lord introduced the new birth to Nicodemus in John 3, John wrote about it in chapter 1 about being born of God. Can you imagine that, being God's child? Wow, what a deal. And then Jesus Christ instituted it, and that's why he becomes the Savior of all men. But this thing in Isaiah is a different thing. This thing in Isaiah is different where not only today, when a person is born again, By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that individual becomes a child of God. Personal relationship. No different than being born in the natural world. In the natural world, your DNA, my DNA came from my parents. Now, people think, who are deceived and hoodwinked with all the transgender stuff, and, well, I don't know what I am, a boy, girl, I don't know what I am, I might be a monkey, I don't know, maybe I'm a kitty cat. And some of these public schools put a litter box in the bathrooms now for the little kitty cats. Now, they can take all these chemicals and hormones and manipulate their DNA, but when they stop, it goes right back. It goes right back to that birth DNA. And the older they get, the worse it looks. When you get messing with something God has designed, it's not going to end up pretty. You see, and that's what's being being made manifest. But your DNA from your natural parents is not going to change, and your DNA from your supernatural father is not going to change. Man, there's nothing better than that. And how do we get that? By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this thing in Isaiah, there's a little added thought here in Isaiah Why is the Lord Jesus called the Everlasting Father? If you would try Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 
The Lord has some unfinished business with Israel as a nation. And he's promised something still with them. Now, personally, I'm, uh, as a born-again believer, every born-again believer is placed in Jesus Christ, and you become God's child at that moment. But then there's some other things that he's got still going on the program here. In Acts 3, verse 18, it says, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. He says, Repent there ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution. Notice that. Refreshing, regeneration, restitution. All these repeating of something. Restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now, this thing back in Isaiah, the everlasting father. Okay, what's going to happen is, since the day of Calvary, because a new birth was instituted on that day, every person who places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their only hope for heaven become God's child that fast. Birth is instantaneous. Usually, like me, I was born 2.30 in the morning, so you got to keep everybody up all night long. Okay, so it's that fast. Instantaneous. Believe in Jesus Christ, boom, right then you're born again. You become God's child. Now, a good child, hopefully you try to develop that relationship with your parents and try to be a blessing to your parents and do what you can. Well, the Lord is going to expand this out because the nation of Israel as a complete nation is going to get born again. Now, I don't fully understand all that, but a nation is going to get born. Israel is going to be reborn And it's going to be at the beginning of the millennium. Not only that, the old earth is going to get reborn. When the Lord was on Calvary, they had thorns beat on his head, and he paid the price for the earth also. And the earth gets reborn. Man, we're going to see some energy taking place during that millennial time period. Man, is that going to be fascinating to see someone plant a crop and then harvest it at the end of that season. So plant a crop in spring, harvest it into spring, plant a crop in summer, harvest it at the end of summer, plant a crop in the fall, harvest it at the end of the fall. The reaper overcomes the sower. Man, we even see nothing yet. You don't want to miss that kingdom. That's the regeneration of Jesus Christ where all the earth goes back to before Adam sinned. I mean, when they're going to have a grape about this big, get to chomp on a grape that big, I mean, the energy's going to flow from that thing, and you're going to like, wham, what am I bit into? I mean, the Lord's got all this laid up, and it's all available because of Calvary. Now, if you want to see that utopia, Jesus Christ said this, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Then he backed it up again, except you be born of the water, that's the natural birth, and of the spirit, that's the supernatural birth. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's going into the millennial kingdom. The promise for anybody 
is that as soon as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become God's child. Your DNA is born of God. You're born in the image of God. The first time, you're born in the image of your parents. Second time, you're born in the image of God. And he becomes your heavenly father. Man, can you imagine that? A perfect father. Sinless, flawless, perfect father. Heavenly father. Holy father. He's only called one time in the Bible, holy father. Not some clown in the the Vatican. Not that clown. A holy father is a heavenly father. And you see, with time, the Lord reveals all these closer and closer relationships that we can draw in with him, our heavenly father, through Jesus Christ. And it's all by grace. That's the amazing thing. Man, what a, that is the fatherhood of God. But it's each and every, everyone's choice what you do with Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I do pray you'd help us to see uh, the great gift as was given in the natural world. A baby is given life, but yet you offer eternal life because of what you've done. It's a free gift. And when that's done, then we step into a new, new uh, relationship, a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, heads bowed and eyes are closed. If, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, well, you can know that. And it's very simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The piano will play. The altar is open if you'd like to use it. But thank God for this revelation. He hid this for 4,000 years and then Jesus Christ introduced it. You can have a heavenly father. A heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ. Not through a church, not through good works, not through baptism. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Lord, thank you for this relationship. Thank you that the Lord Jesus, you are going to be the everlasting father there of Israel. We thank you that my heavenly father, the God of the Bible, is readily and willing to accept any who come to you through his son, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.